Uh, we each have independent narratives in terms of how we talk about Bitcoin, but we're each part of the same team. And I think we all agree that our, our objective here is to convert as many people into Bitcoin as possible. Hello there from Bedford. How are you all? Liverpool champions. Did you see it? The first time in 30 years, Liverpool won the Premier League. A bit of an anti-climax, but I am over the moon. I literally found out about 30 minutes ago. I'm so happy. Amazing. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Kraken, the best place to buy, sell and trade Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And today I've got an interview with my buddy, Dan Held. We're going to be talking about Bitcoin UX and marketing. But before that, I do have a message from my amazing sponsors. So first up today, we have BlockFi, the future of Bitcoin and financial services. Have you checked out BlockFi yet? Are you a customer? Are you using one of their interest accounts? Have you taken out a loan with them? Have you? I'd love to know. I'd love to have some feedback on this. Please do feel free to email me about it. I am a customer. I have an interest account. I get my interest every month. I do love the service. I know people have issues with custody solutions, but I am happy that my Bitcoin is working for me. It's not all of my Bitcoin. I have less than 20% in there, but I am happy that my Bitcoin is working for me. BlockFi is the future of Bitcoin and financial services. It does give you options to make your Bitcoin work for you or for you to use it for other purposes. So as I said, they have interest accounts. They do enable you to take out USD loans against your Bitcoin. And they also have an amazing mobile app, which you can do this all on. If you're interested in checking out BlockFi, I recommend you do your own research. Then head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. Also, let's talk about Kraken. They are the best place to buy, sell and trade Bitcoin. Firstly, why is this? Well, they have the most shit-hot, world-class security that makes them the most trusted cryptocurrency exchange on the market. No hacker is going to get your Bitcoin. And with their 24-7, 365 customer support, they can help you with any issues you have, wherever you are and whoever you are. And they have the most comprehensive suite of tools available for buying Bitcoin. At Kraken.com, it could not be easier to sign up and start acquiring Bitcoin. They also have a beautiful mobile-first app, so you can buy Bitcoin on the go. So now the lockdown's ended. If you're off for a walk in the park, if you've gone to Starbucks, you've gone to Costa, if you are sat in the McDonald's drive-thru and you want to buy some Bitcoin, you can do it on the go with their mobile app. And with margin trading, futures and the OTC desk, Kraken has every option covered for you. There is no better place to buy Bitcoin. If you want to find out more, head over to kraken.com or download the app. It's available for the iPhone and Android. Just search for Kraken Pro, which is K-R-A-K-E-N-P-R-O. Okay, so onto the show today and I've got my good old Bitcoin buddy Dan Held on the show. I haven't seen Dan for a while. Usually we catch up every couple of months when I'm out in the States. I haven't seen him for a while. Very sad. So I forced him to come back on the show. Me and Dan are always chatting. We chat most days. We're always talking about marketing and UX and ideas for promoting Bitcoin. We're always trying to think, how do we get out there to more people? And Dan's been doing so much cool stuff recently. I was like, look, dude, come on the show. Let's make a show about this. So there is certainly a group of hardcore Bitcoiners who are fully support the hardcore message. Get rid of the state. Protect your privacy. But this is also a big leap for many people. Some people have just got the Stockholm syndrome for the state. There are some people who are happy status. They don't even know they've got another option. Or there's someone like me who's making that kind of transition of learning about ideas like libertarianism. And it's a big leap for some people. And, you know, there's so much to learn with Bitcoin about economics, about you know technology, that sometimes the message can get a bit lost and I am always working on ideas to make it easier for people to understand. That's always been my jib. I've always done that because I know people find this complicated. And either way, 
for many, the message just needs to be simple. It needs to be done in a few basic, easy steps just to get them on the ladder, to get them understanding. And I know there's some people who get it straight away. Perhaps they're technical or perhaps it just works for them, but many, many don't. And I've talked about this a lot. People talk about mass adoption. I'm like, well, listen, we have mass awareness, right? We have mass awareness. I don't go anywhere in the world and I tell people my job and they're like, oh, what the hell is Bitcoin? They always know. They've always heard of it. But they'll always say something like, oh, you know, am I too late? Or I've heard about this other cryptocurrency, Bitcoin Cash. And it doesn't matter how much I like, I'm like, that's bullshit. You're not too late. It's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of leaps that people have to make. And I'm always wanting to make this easy for people. And one of the things about that is marketing and UX. So Dan's got experience in this. It is my background. So I got on the show. We jammed about this. We do we do also go into a, a bit of a tangent about cryogenic life extension, which was kind of interesting. But as you know, as ever, if you've got any questions about the show, you can reach out to me. I'm always interested to hear from you. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Also, my final show about Stephen Mnuchin is now available on Defiance. I'm not sure if you checked any of them out. It's a four-part series all about how he's basically a massive dickhead. It's definitely worth checking out. You can check that out at defiance.news. Would love your feedback. And as I said, if you've got any questions, you can reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Morning, Dan. How you doing, man? Doing well. Glad to be uh, glad to be back on the show. Yeah, man. It's always good to have you back on the show. I think I don't know, was it like three or four times now? I can't even remember. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think it's like quarterly, you know, pop on quarterly, typically have something kind of new to talk about. Mm. And uh, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm excited about today's conversation. It's something that you and I have talked about a lot. Um, so it's gonna be fun. Well, it's something that gets me into trouble sometimes. And I think, I think we might trigger a few people today, because we're going to talk about the big bad word of marketing. <laughs> but uh, I, it's a really funny one, because um, I think I think marketing as a term or advertising scares people off because they automatically assume it means something bad. Like I'm trying to get you to drink a, a can of Coke or buy some shit you don't need in your life. But I know, I know as much as anyone else, anyone creating a business, marketing is really important. And also I've always said marketing is important for Bitcoin and people might not even want to want to admit it, but it it is important. So uh, I think you've got a similar feeling. Yeah, I think uh, in most Bitcoiners' minds, when they hear the word marketing, it's like this instant cringe where they have flashbacks of like really cheesy YouTube thumbnail images combined with like slicked back hair and an ICO website with great graphics. You know, I think so there's a little bit of PTSD left over from Bitcoiners where they typically associate great marketing uh, with sleazy tactics. And sometimes that, you know, in the crypto space, that does happen because the these different uh, individuals need to use great marketing to draw in investors, uh, to get people part of their project and to buy their coin. So there, it's not without, you know, I understand where they're coming from. Uh, so, you know, I, I understand that, but I think you can't just throw all marketing out because there's been a few bad apples. And also, all those people who probably hate marketing don't realize that they engage in marketing themselves and don't realize that, even by talking to people about Bitcoin and waxing lyrical about it and trying to convince them that they're engaging in one aspect, the word of mouth aspect, which, you know, me as a marketing guy knows, I know the Venn diagram of the paid and, and what was the third one? God, that's how long out of it. There's paid and, and, I know, why can't I remember? (laughs) Hoddle, yeah. But like, uh, like word of mouth is earned marketing, right? It's Uh, an earned media channel. 
And pe- people don't seem to understand that that is part of it. You know, if you're trying to market something, you're trying to get people to talk about it. Someone like the Serial Podcast was a raging success through earned media. Rogan is a raging success because of earned media. He doesn't advertise, but he's done a great job. Well, he does a good job on social as well, but he's done a great job with earned media. And I, uh, I don't think people understand it. But listen, you, um, you dived into this recently. You actually decided to do a whole tweet storm about it. Yeah, so you know, I've been in this space for almost eight years, you know, over eight years now, and I mean, Bitcoin's marketing, frankly, sucks. Like, it's really bad. You know, the orange bee, by the way. Do you know how that was designed? God, I imagine it's you're gonna tell. Well, didn't didn't Craig Wright write it down at a dinner party? <laughs> show, 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 uh, show he, his brother or something. Yeah, he scribbled it on a napkin or something, right? Yeah. <laughs> Go on, no, tell me how it came. Okay, so a group of developers came up with what they thought were beautiful numbers. So like they liked the RGB color of orange because of the number, not because it was orange. Shut shut up. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And like how the B is angled represents a specific angle that they thought was cool mathematically. I'm I'm I not sh- like that. I'm not shitting you. Sure, but like <laughs> to come up with, and people are like, "Oh, Bitcoin's logo is great," and I'm like, "Dude, it was literally designed by devs geeking out over like weird math." Um, luckily, Bitcoin's so, such a strong product that um, you know it, it brushed off a lot of this like really terrible marketing, like that orange bee. Uh, there's actually a movement back early, you know, back in thirteen, fourteen that I was a part of, where there was an alternative bee. It was a B with a horizontal line through the bottom of it, a single horizontal line. And uh, a designer created a website that said, hey, we need a better logo. Uh, my first product, Zero Block, actually had that B. And quite a few other products in the space had that B at that time. Um, a lot of people don't remember that because it's pretty old sort of knowledge. But there was a movement to make a better B. It was also a Unicode character. You know, if you think about it, like the Bitcoin orange B is more of a, a nod to like the U.S. dollar. Uh, there's all sorts of flaws with it. Anyways, so the logo is is really poor. It wasn't really created with any sort of like good, insightful things other than geeks nerding out on arbitrary information. Uh, no one was like geeking out about like, oh, people like the color orange. Like that was not how they chose that color. But also you've got like just really bad marketing all the way around. I mean, when I got in in 2012... Technically 2011, but 2012, I think, is when I really started to engage. You know, I found that, like, Bitcoin QT was, like, incredibly difficult to understand for, like, a non-technical person. And there's been this obsession in this space over developers, but people don't remember that, like, ultimately humans interact with this thing. (laughs) You have to make it understandable, easy to use, and back in the day, people would be like, oh, go read the Bitcoin Talk forum. It'll tell you everything you need. You know, there was no medium articles, there were no podcasts, there were no videos. I mean, there was a couple of videos, there were we, we Use Coins videos. But yeah, I mean, just kind of a complete lack of any sort of empathetic thinking towards how will humans understand this. It's kind of been lacking for almost the entire existence. Even now, it's it's just now getting better. Yeah. Well, there's a there's a bunch we can unpack here. It definitely still exists now, without doubt, because... You know, I've been on the receiving end personally of quite a bit of shit for trying to challenge some of these uh, concept, uh, like these ideas. And I think what it is, I think it it does come from that point. Is there's like there's a quite a difference between technical people and non technical people. So, 
for example, I think we might have discussed this on a previous show, right? But I had um before before all this Bitcoin craziness, I had a web agency, right? Digital agency. We built websites, we did search engine optimizations, email campaigns, and you had a very clear set of roles and jobs that people did. You had your developers who would do your PHP or your .NET coding of the websites. But before they got to code anything, you have a UX designer design the experience. And that would go to a creative designer, create a layer on top. And all of that was like usually facilitated by, by some kind of account or project manager who had to, who had, who had, had a really shitty job because what they had to do is keep the designers true to what the designer wanted because the designer never wanted any changes because it was their piece of art. Keep the UX guy as happy as possible because the, the the US guy would always stand by like this is the best experience for what we're trying to achieve on conversion. Ensure the client's happy because the client always wants to poke and change things and also have to deal with the developer who ultimately never always wants to build exactly what they're given. <laughs> so you could give a full yeah. brief, you could give a full tech brief, full layouts and when a developer start building a thing, they'll still do things their own way. So that person had a really tough job. But what I knew, what I knew from from myself having done that role and done doing a couple of roles in, in there, is I knew that you could never trust a techie on the user experience. Now, there are exceptions to the rule. You can have someone like Jack Mallers, who understands both dev and UX and design. He's great, but they are they are a unicorn. They're very rare. You very rarely would find somebody who had both. So the developers, you almost had to just like really sit on them and say, just follow this. And yeah, at the same time with the designers couldn't build shit. Right. I think if, you know, that's where like writing a really good um, scope of work, a really good uh, brief and, you know, like a design brief for designers and a good product spec uh, to hand off to the devs, like, you have to really laser focus down on what are we building? Why are we building this? How does it look? How does it function? And there's there's a rare few people that can, and, and these are what PMs are sort of for, right? Is they zoom out and they look at the different people that help build this. And then they look at the stakeholders, the ones who will use it, the ones who are invested uh, in building this product and making sure that everyone's coordinated. And that's, a lot of people go, oh, PMs, they seem, it seems like kind of like an easy position, right? You just sort of... No way. You, it, it's, no it's fucking chance. Yeah, it's, it's like you're being pulled in 100 directions and you have to be quasi-technical, design-focused, strategy-focused, um, you, you know, user, like UX-focused, like UX uh, customer-empathetic. Um, yeah, so totally agree. Like when you, most devs don't have that capability of zooming all the way out and zooming all the way in, and neither do designers. That, that, you know, that's sort of the PM's role. And they rarely zoom all the way out and go, oh, well, how are people interacting with my code? Uh, not just from a code basis, but from like a, a normal human, you know, a layman in the street basis. And also, I think the thing about a PM is not only do they have to understand all of that, they also have to understand like human incentives incentive structures like like how do people make decisions and i think one of the the difficulties is especially like what i've come across with a, a lot of the you know the techies maybe i've crashed with or the you know is that they don't really it's not only they don't understand ux they don't understand incentives and ux isn't just about on screen right if we were thinking of a product for a client you know then we're having to build some kind of web interface for it you know, the starting point isn't someone's got to the website, what happens? It's like, our starting point is, how do we even get them to think about the product? How do we get them to the website? We have to think about all of that. And this is where my massive battle with nodes 
ongoing <laughs> raging battle with nodes, which yeah. I hundred percent stand by. That I am a hundred percent right about having the debate. I think the statistics back it up, and I, I and I. I do think there is a big leap from someone saying, look, there's there's all these different leaps down. There's, there's The leap one is convince someone they should think about Bitcoin, right? right they, they've thought about it. And then convince yeah. them to buy it. But then convince them that they need to have something like a hardware wallet to store it. And then convince them that they need to go down the rabbit hole. And then convince them they need to run a node. And there are a lot of leaps there. Oh, totally. And there's a lot of people who've got all the way up to that one before the node, but still haven't run a node. And the people who are fighting against me going, oh, but you don't run a node. I think they've completely missed the message of what I'm trying to say there. Yeah, and I completely agree. Running a node is very difficult. I got the Casa node. And the Casa node, most people would consider as one of the, one of the easier to run nodes. And, uh, you know, I'm a really big fan of uh, Jeremy and, and those guys over there that, that built Casa and Sam and Jameson. But it was still hard. Um Look, in today's day, like you want to be able to just press a button for in it for for it to work, right? You want an easy to understand interface. You want easy to understand error states, uh, in progress states, and this is all about communication. I mean, that's what marketing really is about. It's about communication. It's not it's not necessarily like sleazy, slicked back hair salesmen, you know, like used car salesmen. Like marketing is about communicating to people, and interfaces do that, and ads do that. And that's where like a lot of people don't even know the role of like a PMM, product marketing manager, where the product marketing manager communicates to existing users, like through push notifications, emails, making them aware of new features and services within the product, or communicating to them XYZ functionality that their product, uh, that they're currently engaging with, maybe there's a better way they can use it. You know, so people don't really think about marketing holistically. They, They kind of, they bucket it in this weird little corner and you know, to wrap up that that with your your node statement, I mean, nodes are extremely difficult for people to understand. Like, what's the value prop? Why am I spending this money? Um, why isn't it you know easier to use? It, you know, some of it. I think anything other than Casa kind of required command line. I think even Casa required command line for a little bit, and um, that's where you know I, I don't know if you know the guys from Start Nine Labs. Yeah, like funny you should say that. I think it's here. It's in my drawer here. I've got. Is it Embassy? Yeah, the embassy. These guys are awesome, man. So Start9 Labs, uh, you know, essentially a lot of people that I've talked to building nodes, the way to think about them are freedom boxes. And Start9 Labs, I think, really took that idea and ran with it. So are you going to pull it out there? Nice. Yeah, I've got, I've got one. I'm like, I'm meant to be, I've got to do something with this, right? I've been waiting for the guys. I'm going to make a show with them. I think they're doing some cool shit. Yeah, there's some really cool dudes. I think they're doing this, um, you know, I think they've got a company set up around this, but a lot of this is like their own personal money, just like a pure work uh, of passion to go build this. And it's a freedom box. It starts with a Bitcoin full node, but then they have like encrypted messaging and they're going to roll out XYZ other feature as well. So I think nodes are an incredibly important part of Bitcoin, and they're one of the first teams that are kind of serious around just laser focused on UX. Um, mm-hmm. You know, where they're like, okay, how do we make getting a node stood up as easy as possible? So, yeah, I think like you have to have that focus, and that's where you just see a complete lack of UX and product thinking in the space. You know, any product person realizes, like, if I'm building something for my customer, I have to make it easy to use because that's going to maximize the number of people that find value from the product. And Bitcoiners go, LOL, you should, uh, you should, you should learn how to code, bro. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, like, that's not the right attitude at all. Um, 
And they're like, well, if you don't want to spend the time to learn it, then maybe you shouldn't buy Bitcoin. And I'm like, that's not that's not appropriate. Like uh, these interfaces are unnecessarily complicated. I do agree that like if they don't want to learn about why Bitcoin's valuable, you can't force them to. But certainly once they're ready to be activated as a Bitcoiner by owning Bitcoin and holding it, you know, self-custody, we should make that process as easy to understand and easy to do as possible instead of going, LOL, you should be more technical. Dude, I've had it a couple of experiences. So I had it with um, Wasabi Wallet. People saying, you've got a coin join. So the first time I downloaded it, the first very first thing I was like, no, this hasn't had a UX design on it because when I went to put in my password, rather than having little stars, it had Chinese symbols. And I was like, oh, something's up with my keyboard. So I deleted it. I was like, <laughs> so I assumed something was broken because yeah. why am I getting Chinese symbols? And they just decided, for whatever reason, they were going to get rid of what is the, uh, you know, the pre-agreed convention for passwords of showing stars to change it to Chinese symbols. There is a UX design in the world worth their salt who would agree with that so that was a first starting point but yeah. anyway i'll give them a pass so i went into CoinJoin. my first time i looked i was like i don't get it what, what what's an anonymity set mean anonymity set 50 what does that mean what's it right. for what you know what, what does it so what you would really want to do is you would want to have a button that says coin join now press button and then it's going to say something like okay you um, what kind of anonymity set would you like? This is what an anonymity set is. This is what it means. Like, <laughs> right. Explain it. <laughs> exactly. And then you can choose. This is where you deposit. And then like almost like two or three big buttons with explanations. I know that. I know that naturally. And I also had it the other day when I set up a multi-sig for my uh, Trump bet with uh, HODL. Oh, yeah. Do you, do you know about this bet? Yeah. yeah it's like 0.5 Again, Bitcoin or something, right? Yeah. And, and we use Caravan, right? And... You know, very cool that it can be done. Absolutely no way that anyone who's beyond a Bitcoin nerd is going to be able to figure that shit out. But there is a market for a, for a um, sorry, did I say called a multi-sig, which yeah. is UX friendly, which is create multi-sig, connect wallet, done. Yeah. <laughs> like where everything's abstracted away. You don't have to worry about this shit. And, and that's what will take it. This, that's what will take it the leap from being like a, like a, a like a nerd toy to be in like for everyone else all bitcoin will ever be for everyone else is something they buy on kraken or coinbase and they store in a hardware wallet totally like it's it's you know people go oh we have to push people to self custody and i'm like yes that is a noble and and true cause that we should always be fighting for but i'm like i find it extremely disingenuous to recommend that this user this new user immediately learn how to work with private keys and store their mnemonic. Eric Savix was a great example. A couple of weeks ago, Eric came out that he had gotten fished. Um, oh, the keep key thing. Yeah, yeah, where he plugged it in and there was a Chrome extension, I think a malicious Chrome extension he had downloaded. And he was decently knowledgeable about private key management and Bitcoin. So, I mean, he even, wrote, he even had a YouTube channel where he had explainer videos on Bitcoin. So the guy was pretty knowledgeable, right? Like, it's easy to slip up. Honestly, I'm just surprised I haven't gotten, like, hacked or, or and or lost my Bitcoins over the years. Um, and that's where I have heard stories of my buddies in this space losing their Bitcoin because of their private key management practices. So Bitcoiners, you know, screech at me for going, you, you, can't, you can't not recommend self-custody. And I'm like, well, yeah, I, I'm not going to recommend it until they're ready. And I think we should always be pushing them that, that direction and reinforcing that 
that narrative that they should self-custody, but it's really dangerous. I mean, you're, you're giving like a loaded gun to someone and if they don't know how to use it, then they're going to shoot themselves in the foot. I guess there's no use for self-custody if they don't know what they're doing. Uh, they're going to lose their Bitcoins. They're going to be, then they're going to turn into a salty no-coiner because they're going to like lose their coins and be like, oh, this is a scam. Uh, yeah, I just think it's in really poor taste and just, I don't know, I think it's like really insulting to the population. Just tell them like, hey, you should, you should be more technical. And it's like, cool, man. I'm still nervous about my private key management setup after eight years. Yeah. I'm still nervous about it. Well, that's why I've gone Castle Multisig myself, just because I'm totally nervous about it. Um, but it's, it's funny you should say that because it's like every time my dad lives in Ireland, right? And uh, it was funny recently. I had to set him up on Zoom for his golf club, <laughs> get him to use Zoom. I had to teach him how to use copy and paste. He still, he still didn't know what copy and paste was. <laughs> and this is a guy whose job was keep airplanes in the sky. And um, But every time I go to his house, he has a list. Every single time. Can you fix this on my computer? Can you fix this with my TV? Like, he just doesn't get this shit. If he wanted to be a Bitcoiner, I, there must be a way of measuring, like, the risk of him losing his coins himself or, I don't know, a custody solution losing them. And I would say my father is infinitely more likely to lose his coins than a custody solution. I don't think people should... I think everyone should self-custody. I am 100% with them, with you on this. But I also understand that some people will fuck it up. And my, my father's a prime example. And if, all these people who want to go to a Bitcoin-based world, Bitcoin-based economy, they're not accounting for the fact that a lot of people will struggle with the technical hurdles of that. So some people will need that bridge. Some people will need that support and help. Yeah, or like if they use coin joins, if you combine, you know, you can ruin your uh, privacy afterwards if you like start to combine them again, you know, so like there's there's almost no explainers on there about that, like in Wasabi Wallet or Samurai or anything like I, I've only like seen the Wasabi interface interface with that a bit. But yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of ex explanations as to like how to like people forget that like on chain privacy, whether it be with Zcash, Monero, Bitcoin there's many more factors to being private, you know, like the, you, the, all of the things associated with the transaction, the time you did it, there's, there's also other metadata too, um, you know, what you do with the coins after. So I, I think like people forget that these, these are, these are such technical things. Um, you need to cover, that's what's so hard about communicating about it is you need to cover all these edge cases and you need to cover deep technical aspects of how it works, but also make it easy to understand. Um, you know, I actually worked with, uh, I don't know if many people know this, but there was a group, a working group put together in 2018 and it was with IDEO Labs. So IDEO run by uh, Dan Elitzer on the blockchain side. And he actually pulled together some pretty huge, you know, head of design at XYZ crypto company, pulled them together to work on uh, standard issues. So these standard issues would be like, uh, what's an unconfirmed transaction? What does that mean? Like, like when I'm a user, I'm like, what the fuck? Unconfirmed? Wait, did it fail? Like, un why do we use the term unconfirmed? Like, it's it just because it was in the legacy code base. Like, for human understandable interfaces, you have to have something like processing or propagated. Well, you can add to that, Dan, also, because a confirmed transaction is actually binary. It's either no confirmations or has confirmations, right? But some places will accept to spend on one confirmation. I know I know Sportsbet that I work with, and I think Bitrufill, potentially, maybe zero confs. Some places are sick. So then you have to say, well, it depends. But 
you know that the you know the general agreement is six confirmations is when it's confirmed right well what are six confirmations well basically that's you know we're talking about six blocks but what are the blocks well you know every 10 minutes a block is created to cryptographically what the fuck i mean come on totally yeah that's where i don't believe many people in the future will transact on layer one like i i think i think that'll be reserved to a highly technical group that is focused on self-sovereignty and people will have access to Bitcoin and the and the value it brings and the threat that they could move it off of their centralized venues to uh, their own self custody. I think is a, is a big uh, a big sort of threat to the existing system as well. Um, again, I do believe that people should do self custody, and I think that's the entire value of Bitcoin is being your own bank. That's huge. Um, but certainly, we we'll see. You know, and then that's where maybe with multisig, I think multisig is a good UX middle ground. With you with that, I don't have to trust a single counterparty, but I could trust multiple, and the probability that they would all collude is is very very low. But then it also reduces the damage from my own self custody uh, setup because I, it's hard for me to mess that up when other people have the key as well. So I think multi sig is kind of the solution for this in the future, but we are a bit a magnitude off in, in UX around multi sig. Also, two out of three multi sig is pretty dangerous. As soon as you lose one key, you have to do a, a key ceremony again. Um, and so I, I don't think that's like exactly elegant either. Maybe a three out of five I thought was kind of cool. Three out of five or, or more keys than that. Anyways, we, we could go down that down the UX path for a while, but I think we're talking mostly today about uh, marketing. Well, I mean, they're, but they're the same thing. We, we never, we, we always did marketing and UX together. And I think they're the same thing because what we're talking about is even with the marketing is part of the UX, the experience of getting someone from outside of Bitcoin into Bitcoin to understand Bitcoin to be in a, you know, a solid, responsible Bitcoiner. And that is an entire journey of which marketing performs one piece. But it's like this overall position of and I, and I do you know what, Dan, I wrestle with it, like this uh, lack of tolerance sometimes towards people who are trying to new and understanding or might not be technically gifted or trying to navigate this stuff. But then I'm like, is the lack of tolerance a good thing? Because it, it forces you. And, and ultimately, I end up coming back to, I don't think it's useful. I actually think it's a little bit of technical elitism. Yeah, it's definitely a form of elitism. Um, you know, I think there are some immovable things in Bitcoin, like the 21 million hard cap. And yep, because because of that fierce resiliency around that never changing, Bitcoiners then bleed that over into other areas about Bitcoin. So I totally get it. And in some areas, it's very much justified. But the whole people should be more technical aspect, I just don't agree with that sort of philosophy. It's just it's it is elitism. It's kind of arrogant. Um, if if you're some people aren't wired that way. Yeah, some people just aren't going to get it, man. Like, look, I understand we can't make it perfect for grandma. She's just never going to like get it, get it, no matter how much time we spend on it. But at least we should strive to make it as easy as possible to convert everyone we can. There's no reason to keep it technical arbitrarily. You know, we should continue to strive to make it easier to understand, easier to use. And when we do that, we get more Bitcoiners in the top of the funnel. We have more of them convert into being node, node runners and uh, self-custody key holders. So, um, you know, I, I think they don't understand this from like a marketing perspective in terms of like a growth funnel. Like we're trying to get new users in, keep uh, activate them, keep them around and have them become referrals or have them be become advocates of the product. Instead, mm -hmm. we're like, here's like a, 
here's a super technical way to get in, which reduces the amount of people coming in, less people find value in it. And then we go, cool. And then, and then you can only talk about it, you know, in terms of a prophesizing about Bitcoin, if you adhere to X, Y, Z sort of like fixed set of, of narratives. The funnel is really interesting, actually. I'm, I'm glad you talk about that because when you talk about the funnel, you identify something that I, I purposely do, right? Whilst I love making my show, it's not a hobby, it's a business. And ultimately, if it doesn't make money and a profit, then I have to get a job, which means I can focus less time on it. So I have, I have to think about it as a business. And I always have to look at you know what other people are doing and differentiate myself and you know are they competitors or not i look at pomp and i see what he's he's doing and like he's bitcoin but he does he does some other coin stuff and he also does like non bitcoin stuff and non crypto in his show like more finance and then i look at something like what marty and matt odell do which is brilliant i love what they do but i also think they're more like a like the show for the industry like if you're a techie or developer or hardcore bitcoin you're gonna love that show because yeah, you know, they talk about all the things that are going on, updates to things, you know, developments in the industry, if there's a new technology, if Electrum updates, they do all that bit, which I think if you're industry based, you're gonna love that. Like I look at then I look at what do I do? And I think I what I want to do is sweep up all the people who've got like an hour or two a day when they on the train, they want to know a little bit about Bitcoin and they're like, Oh, I've heard deflation's bad and they hear my show, like, okay, deflation isn't so bad and I've heard about libertarianism, they'll hear me talk to you or like someone else, like Eric Voorhees. Oh, I get a like I'm trying to scoop up the wide group of people right, and they right. and almost and I and I see someone like Stefan in the middle and it's lucky we've got all these great shows doing different things, but but I think a show like my show, which probably is the least credible amongst Bitcoiners, but has the most people listen to, it does that job of kind of like sweeping everyone up and bringing them into that funnel. Yeah, I mean, Where they go from there. Right, you're more top of the funnel, which is more around the awareness and consideration stage. Uh, you also have Bitcoiners like myself who listen to the show. So we're we're more advanced, but you know, tip, you know, since your audience is more, uh, they listen to you because you break things down simply, you're kind of frank about it, um, you bring on great, great guests. And, you know, I think like, a lot of Bitcoiners think only good marketing exists for at the bottom of the funnel. Like yeah. the, you know, uh, Tales from the Crypt with Marty Bent and Matt O'Dell. You know, everyone loves that because it covers like what everyone needs to hear. Self-custody, privacy. I mean, that's that's the true shit about what Bitcoin's about, right? Like that mm. that is like truly seizing your self-sovereignty. And so have huge respect for that. But and I couldn't do that, by the way, because... I'm not good enough to, to like, yeah. I'm not techy enough. I don't understand it enough. You know, I, I, yeah, these guys I'm have, better at asking the confused questions. <laughs> yeah. These guys are, are pros, you know, they're the pros. They dig in on it. They've been around Bitcoin for a while. Uh, they're fiercely independent. And I think that's phenomenal. That's exactly what Bitcoin is. Uh, but you know, I think there's equally virtuous is being top of the funnel, doing something like you do and what Pomp does, which is, you know, bring people in and have them become aware of Bitcoin and and consider it as a new money. And then further down the funnel, you have um, Marty and Matt, and they convert them from being aware about Bitcoin. Maybe that now they've bought Bitcoin. Now they take them and turn them into you know very resilient, very independent, true you know like truly fierce Bitcoiners who have custody of their own coins. They run a full node and they're doing coin joins. You know. Nothing. Neither one is more or less virtuous. It's all part of the same system, where it's sort of a relay race. You know, you're you're handing off the baton to someone further down the funnel, as you've gotten them further through it. Now, some people are full stack, like 
I'm, I'm creating some sort of an arbitrary sort of slicing here just for, for easy uh, visualization. Um, but, you know, someone can certainly be full stack. And if you look at exchanges, they're sort of doing that as well, right? Like exchanges produce content, which is around like when people perform a query, like what is Bitcoin or buy Bitcoin? They're going to do classic SEO techniques to rank their landing pages for that type, that specific query, uh, rank those highly. So when users search for that, they find that. They, they provide explanation around some of these Bitcoin and crypto basics. And then hopefully that conversion leads to them creating the exchange account, uh, which then brings the exchange money. So everyone in this space is competing to take newbies and have them become aware of Bitcoin enough to buy Bitcoin. And then post buying Bitcoin, um, a lot of us are advocating for them to do to seize their self-sovereignty through running the full node and, and managing their own private keys. So we're all part of the same marketing team. Uh, we each have independent narratives in terms of how we talk about Bitcoin, but we're each part of the same team. And I think we all agree that our, our objective here is to convert as many people into Bitcoin as possible. Um, yeah, I think that also works on the on the cut some of the political and ideological stuff that sits alongside Bitcoin as well. Because um, I get, uh, do you get Marty's email, Marty the Bear? Yeah, yeah, it's fucking great. But like Marty is fully wired into problems with governments, problems with central banking, you know, but there are people who've never even considered that. There are people who've come from a position of never even thinking of challenging the ideas around like essentially two party politics or, or these ideas of libertarianism. And, 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 you know, I start at that point, like asking the difficult questions. Oh, but yeah, but what would happen if, you know, X was to happen or, you know, I don't understand what happens with the roads. I know that's a shitty example, but like <laughs> I'm always trying to, and I, and then, then people are like, you still folk don't fucking get it after all these time. And it's like, no, my show was always going to be for new people. There's always going to be new people coming in. So I'm always going to ask those questions, even if I know the answers, because we need to keep people in that funnel, coming through that funnel. So it isn't just the tech it's the, it's, the, it's the whole political ideology that sits behind it. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I think um, I'm, a, I'm a big libertarian. That's where when I found Bitcoin, I was already libertarian. So for me, it was an easy, like, oh, I'm like, oh, wait, sure, this makes sense. I get it. <laughs> I get it. But I know that my journey was a unique one. This wasn't, this wasn't a journey where, you know, I, I think anyone could fall into this journey. It was actually, a, I, I, look, I'm a, I'm a Texan. So Texans in general are libertarian. Um, but Texans are still conservative. Like they may not believe in full legalization of drugs, which I do. They may not believe, they may not really understand like a new digital currency, which I did, um, or a new, sorry, like a new gold, yeah, which I did. Um, you know, they don't understand like torrenting or encryption or any of that. Um, so, and then, you know, on the West Coast and East Coast, they might be more open-minded socially, but they're fiscally, but they're fiscally uh, liberal, which means that they believe in taking away your money. Uh, so there's this, you know, that's where the libertarians. I kind of feel like we're in this weird spot where I'm like, I like, I dislike each party equally in the United States, <laughs> and people want to feel yeah. like they belong. And so to be a libertarian required you to like be okay with not getting along with everyone, which kind of sucks because um, it's like, wait, hey guys, actually we believe the most in getting along with letting everyone do what the hell they want. Like that's, you know, socially liberal and fiscally conservative. Like, but fiscally conservative just means do whatever you want with your money, and socially liberal means do whatever you want with your body. But that that concept yeah. though, like full legalization of drugs, while is completely it's completely intuitive, 
people, you know, very much believe in the propaganda generated by their government around why certain laws exist, why we do certain things. So for them to challenge the sanctity and, and authority of their government, I don't think that's an easy task to, to get people to do. Um, you're asking them to like not believe in God. Like pe people like, I mean, you literally pledge to this state, like you do the Pledge of Allegiance in America. You know, like you actually pledge, like you put your hand over your heart and you, you commit to that country every day in the morning in school in America. So, you know. Well, I, it's Stockholm Syndrome, right? Yeah. The state is Stockholm Syndrome. You, you, you know, I had 30, 38 years of not, never, never hearing of libertarianism. Well, hearing of it, but not paying any attention. Never hearing of anarcho-capitalism and knowing enough about it. So my view is that you had a, it's just the way it was, right? It's just the way it is and it always is. And to suddenly kind of like, come out of that position it's not it doesn't happen overnight you don't suddenly go oh i i suddenly get it i'm i'm, I'm now fully anti-state everything is terrible uh, we should be completely free you, you don't you don't just suddenly get there and it's a bit like i also use that defense for people who are shitcoiners as well i think i think it, it's a very unique person who discovers cryptocurrencies like bitcoin and instantly gets bitcoin is king and everything else is shit i think you have to go through a process of learning and perhaps there even though i'm empathetic towards it a lack of tolerance also helps with pushing people towards that, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, you know, I wasn't like, I think any Bitcoiners touched other coins. Like, I, yeah. I mined PrimeCoin because I thought Prime, this is back in 2014, because I'm like, PrimeCoin is doing something useful in addition to proof of work, which is ridiculous now, but back yeah. in that day, it sounded rational, right? And I was like, I liked I liked prime numbers because they weren't exactly deterministic. So it's like, oh, this is like, you know, it, it made sense. And I mined prime coin. It was kind of fun. That was the only thing I've ever mined, only coin I've ever mined. I actually mined a whole block. You know, that was that was pretty fun. It was interesting. Um, I sold it immediately for some Bitcoin. And, you know, like, for example, I day traded some Litecoin. Uh, you know, it was funny, too. I actually, I'm not sure if many people know this, but my old roommate was like number 10 at Ripple. So, so we did a, we did a consulting project for them in early 13 and I took all those ripples in as a good Bitcoiner, sold them all for Bitcoin, but you know, it was, uh, it was still like, you know, I don't think any Bitcoiner goes in, I think there might be a sizable chunk that come in and never touch anything else. But like, I was always a Bitcoiner, like for me, the digital gold narrative made total sense. So I bought and hodled it for that. And I did dabble with other things just to mess around with it. I never like sold my stack to go buy that stuff. You know, I would just like, if it was like the consulting gig or mining it, I was like, sure, okay. Or I put like a little bit of play money in a Litecoin or something. But it was never like, oh, I'm switching my whole stack over or something like that. And, you know, past 2014, that just kind of solidified because there, there was an altcoin bubble in 2014. People don't remember that, but there was a big altcoin bubble in 2014 where Dogecoin came around. And others, you know, Prime Coin <clears throat> was a pure coin, um, and you know after that moment, that just kind of solidified it for me. Where I'm like, Bitcoin's the only thing. You know, I kind of dabbled with everything else. None of it really made a lot of sense. And then, you know, learning learning more and more about Bitcoin over the years. As you learn more about Bitcoin, it's just really hard to get excited about other things because you realize that there's extreme design trade-offs made when building a blockchain. They're very, very and blockchains aren't a multi-purpose tool. I mean, they're, they're a special purpose tool, right? So, yeah, I think a lot of Bitcoiners are, you know, inflexible in terms of like it's Bitcoin only. But I think like it's coming from a good place where it's going like, look, 
trust us, the people who've been around for a while, like I've seen, I've seen 10,000 cryptocurrencies come and go. I, I just don't, I just don't see people are free to buy and sell whatever they like. But personally, I just, I just don't see it. Next up, I talked to Dan more about Bitcoin marketing and UX. But before that, I do have a message from my amazing sponsors. So first up, we have Sportsbet. Have you checked them out yet? The best place for online gaming and they accept Bitcoin. And I've got a big smirk on my face because I can't help but think of Liverpool. I talked about it before. Liverpool are now champions. Amazing. I think I might just give some Bitcoin away for this. Maybe I'll do that tomorrow. But the season's not over. There's a lot to happen. I'm going to think I'm going to be putting a few cheeky bets on. If you want to do it, it's not just the Premier League is back. Serie A is back. La Liga is back. And with Sportsbet.io, you've got a chance to win Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo shirt. You can claim cash prizes and free bets. All worth checking out on the website. And even look, even if you don't want to bet on the sports, they do have the poker rooms, which are pretty cool. I'm sure we'll get another tournament in before the end of the year. But you definitely want to check out sportsbet.io. That's it, S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O. And if you want to find out the promotions, that is sportsbet.io forward slash promotions. Also, my newest sponsor, Casa, the best in Bitcoin security. So I've talked about this. I haven't really updated my security practices in a year, and it's something that's been bugging me in the back of my mind. One of those things I was like, shit, I really need to get this together. I really need to sort it out. So I reached out to the team. I was like, look, I'm going to sign up. I don't want a freebie. I'm going to sign up. I want to go through the process. And I had a chat with Nick, the CEO, and I was like, listen, we'll sponsor the show. Talk to people about the journey you're going through. So I did it. I had my key ceremony. I set up with my hardware wallets. I'm in. I do have to switch one out, but I have transferred my first Bitcoin in there. I tell you what, I've got to say, they've absolutely nailed the UX. It is so easy to use. And also, it just gives me so much peace of mind. Like, my Bitcoin, which is now in my castle wallet, I'm like, I feel really relieved about it. But I haven't moved it all across yet because I've got to do this transferring out of one of my wallets. But I just want all my Bitcoin in there. I signed up a Casa Platinum customer, which is $150 a month. That was the right product for me. Now, if that's quite expensive for you, you, they do have a gold option. That is $10 a month. That will give you a more robust security protection for your Bitcoin. With a single hard wallet, you get triple the security protection for your Bitcoin. So it's really a no-brainer to try it out. And they are offering a one-month free trial. That's at trials.keys.casa. And if you're interested in trying out the Platinum or Diamond, then just head over to keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. All right, man. Well, listen, we should talk a bit more about marketing. And it's an interesting area because, I mean, I don't know about you. I'm in a bunch of Telegram and WhatsApp groups, and I've just spent a lot of my day trying to ignore them because they're very distracting. But I also know whether it's on Twitter or listen to podcasts. A lot of a lot of the work Bitcoiners are doing is Bitcoiners talking to Bitcoiners about Bitcoin, which is cool if it sweeps up some people. It's cool if like somebody's researching it and they stumble across it. But actually, like my headspace is right. How do I get to more people? Not only creatively and career wise and ambition wanting to grow, but I also want to bring people into Bitcoin and not just because I want my Bitcoin to go up, but actually because I think it has a, a like a noble purpose. So I always think of things like defiance was that first step. It's like, how do I get to more people? Another logical step for me, a really logical one, is to take Bitcoin out of my show title. Like if I was to not have what Bitcoin did, which, by the way, is a small career risk because it's such a strong brand within the space. But really, like if people turn around to their friends and say, oh, you need to get check out Pete McCormack's show and they go and search and they see what Bitcoin did, that might be like, oh, they might not want to listen to it because... I personally think Bitcoin has a reputation problem. And the reason I think it has a reputation problem 
is when people I've brought this up a couple of times when people say about oh let's talk about mass adoption I'm like well we have mass awareness I never meet somebody who's not heard of Bitcoin now dude like wherever I go I can be in an airport right grabbing a drink at the bar and talk to somebody and they're like oh what do you do oh I'm a podcaster what's it about Bitcoin they're like oh what's Bitcoin they never say what's Bitcoin and they're like oh I've heard of that very occasionally (laughs) they've got it but they've heard of it but they've never bought it so so there is a reason that people have heard about Bitcoin and there's a reason they've not taken that step. And look, that could be they haven't heard enough about it. They haven't had the pain. They've had a bad experience. They've got a friend who's had a bad experience. But we have mass awareness. We don't have mass adoption. And I think, I almost like think there's like this category of things. There's like veganism, CrossFit and Bitcoin. They all kind of go together. And they're like, there's things that people go, oh, you're one of those. You're, you're a Bitcoiner. Oh, yeah, totally. And, I, and I'm like, how do we bridge that now? Yeah, it's so, you know, with Bitcoin, we are part of this decentralized marketing team where each one of us crafts our own narrative to how to pitch Bitcoin. So when you go back home for Thanksgiving, if you're a U.S., you know, if that's a primarily U.S. holiday or, you know, some, some holiday in the, in the fall and winter, you go back and you hang out with your family and, and you're at the table, the dining table. It's a classic, classic conversation. And they're like, so tell us about Bitcoin. <laughs> we each have our own pitch. There isn't a standardized template here. We each give our own pitch, and that eventually converts people into it. Um, and we do that as well across social media channels. We go on YouTube and Twitter, Twitter being the really popular one in the crypto space. And we go out and we talk about Bitcoin. And we talk about Bitcoin in terms of gold 2.0. Um, you know, some people talk about it from a payments perspective. Some people talk about it XYZ. And... Part of that, you know, we have to think about how do I land that narrative? And that narrative, you can kind of think about it as like it's inception, right? Like you're trying to incept the idea of Bitcoin into someone's head. And we have to look around where we can propagate that narrative, which is across many different channels, both in person and digitally. So across social media, but then deliver the right payload, that right narrative. And it has to be at the right time at a right size it has to have all these different functions that i think a lot of people just assume oh we can have one blanket statement and if they're not on crypto twitter they're not relevant and i've i've been pushing really hard for this uh with some bitcoin telegram chat rooms where i'm like look guys it's not okay for us to just pat ourselves on the back and be like cool i got a thousand favorites on my tweet today which happens to me every day i'm primarily talking to bitcoiners i cross post my content on linkedin I cross post my content on Reddit and I'm mm-hmm. about to go launch a YouTube channel. I am trying to propagate Bitcoin's narrative everywhere I can in mm-hmm. different in, di- in different formats cuz like the way people talk on LinkedIn or Instagram or Reddit or YouTube is different and to switch context between those social media channels and generate content that'll resonate is actually really hard to do. You have to like change your mind. Like I understand crypto Twitter intimately. I think that's you know that's not a, a really up for debate. Like I understand how what narratives people like and what format, but changing that and, and making that payload changeable. So we change the size of it and move it and, and twist it a little bit. And then we propagate that across a new channel. You know, th- this is what we should be thinking about is, is how do we get the message of Bitcoin everywhere we can? I mean, yep. even crazier ideas like billboards. I know there's a famous artist in the space that's looking at doing that. So, you know, is I think graffiti. I can't say, man. I, I forget. Oh, man. I forget if this individual has made it public or not. So that's all right. Okay, fair I'm, enough. That's why I'm being stealthy about it. But yeah, how do we how do we land that message about Bitcoin at the right time, right place, uh, right message? Well, he sat with me the other day. Have you listened to the Rogan interview with Brett Weinstein this week? 
that that's literally a tab that I have open, uh, but I haven't listened Dude, to it yet. It's so good, and and people would dislike it, but I think it's so good, and I think it's good for two reasons because you've got. Weinstein, the professor, the smart, really super smart dude, like figuring this shit out, you know, looking at everything unemotionally, objectively, because what's happening right now was definitely much a, a, a follow on from what happened at Evergreen College with him. Right. And then you've got Rogan, who's like the normal guy, you know, the guy probably flunked college and all that bullshit, doesn't care, like shoots guns, eats meat. But they're both debating it. So they're covering both areas. And, and what Rogan does is get him to explore it in a way that anyone can understand. And so they're having this whole conversation about what's going on and, and then, you know, they're nailing the problems. They're absolutely fundamentally nailing the problems. But where I think it came unstuck is where Brett comes up with a solution and his solution for bad politics was more politics. You know, it was uh, a suggestion on two more candidates. Again, an interesting suggestion, but it's right. more politics. And I was just sitting there going... Fucking Bitcoin needs to be in this conversation. Bitcoin, someone needs to say, fix the money. They don't even need to say Bitcoin. They need to say, fix the money. Right. Like, let's identify the problems, where the problems are, the problems are with the money, why are there problems with the money? What do the problems with the money lead to? You know, why is there unrest? What's going on here? Um, and then I was like, shit. So perhaps that's what I need to do on my show, right? My show needs to be one where I start getting these people on and having these conversations. But then I need to I need the show not to be called What Bitcoin Did. But one of the funny things is, Dan, if I rebrand my show and call it the McCormack Show, just say I did that, I know what's going to happen. People want to go, ah, oh, you've given up on Bitcoin, you sold out, or it's all about you now. Where it's like, no, I, I can't expand the conversation because the name is a barrier. So let's get rid of the name, then more people will come in, and then let's have that conversation. Totally. I know you get this. Yeah, like imagine if your show was called MMT. Like, um, yeah. yeah, you know, as soon as people see that <laughs> word, it's a trigger word. And they're either going to be like, yes, I agree, or no, I don't. But if it's just like the McCormick show, they're like, interesting. Well, he talks about cool topics. Um, you know, maybe I'll, I'll maybe I'll give him a listen. So I, I totally get what you're thinking about in terms of like your brand for your show. Um, and, it, it, you know, it's, <laughs> it's crazy that like when people go through this branding exercise, like, you know, they want you to socially signal that you're part of like the tribe, right? Like... Bitcoin, like Bitcoin for me, it's going to be a lifetime passion. So I don't mind yeah. that it's like heavily associated with me, you know, but eventually someday I'd like to talk about like, for instance, I worked in the drone industry for like a brief moment um, and built a popular mobile uh, mobile app called Hover, which was downloaded by 25% of US drone pilots. I don't really talk about it. Nice. because It's not really like a clean, cohesive narrative um, because it's just easier just to focus on my, my other experiences. Now, I like drones. I like cryopreservation, like cryonics. Like I've signed up with Alcor, you know, so these are, yeah, yeah. Which, um, you'd be surprised. I've had a bunch of Bitcoiners reach out to me and say they are as well. I mean, Hal Finney's cryopreserved too. Oh yeah. I know that. Yeah. Um, what's, what's the deal with it? How much does it cost? Well, you, you can uh, sign up with life insurance and then you have them be the the beneficiary. So it's actually reasonably affordable via that method. Uh, if it's lump sum, it's, it's expensive. Do you know what the lump sum is, just out of interest? Uh, between one hundred and twenty and 200000 Yeah, but, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, that's not a lot of money to come back from come back from the dead. Right. Uh, let's put it this way. If you don't do cryopreservation, your chance of coming back is 0%. And well, dude, you... let's, well, well, not zero. It's like, you know, there might be some reincarnation. Because I've thought about this, right? You know, if you, uh, if you go down, like, the rabbit hole of afterlife, right? So if you fundamentally 100% believe you die and, and you're worm food and that's it, then fine, fine. Sure. I thought about this, like the cryogenic stuff. I was like, 
Right. They cry they cry freeze you after you've died, right? So what uh, happens yeah. if there is like some weird like afterlife? Do you suddenly get sucked back out of that? It's a good question. Like, and the same question would exist for like when your heartbeat stops, you immediately go to like this afterlife and then come back when they bring you back. Um, there's also been people who have uh, plunged into very, very cold water. So we we have we have evidence that like cryonics, I mean, we see animals do the same thing. Uh, they've got some animals go into this like cryopreserved state in a way, if you will. I'm, I'm overly using the term cryo, maybe like a biostasis. Um, so we see animals do this. We've seen this happen with humans in very rare occasions. There's been, there was a, uh, a Finnish, I think a Finnish Norwegian skier, and she was skiing across a lake, and she fell through the ice. Uh, this, so this is in the winter. So she fell through the ice and drowned. And they fished her out after 20 minutes. And her heart had stopped. They pulled her out, got the water out of her lungs, warmed her body up, and then resuscitated her. She had no brain damage. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. Yeah, so this, we have seen... Did she have any, like, weird memories, any weird shit that went on? Like, I think she had, to be, to, she had to be rehabilitated over a year. So I don't think it's without consequences here. But, um, right. you know, it's impressive to see what the body does and how cooling down the body preserves different states. There's also a new approved, uh, more experimental tech for trauma victims. So what they do is it's called uh, induced hypothermia, where let's say you have like five gunshot gunshot wounds, like you're in a very serious state. So what they do is they put you in an artificial, um, they bring your body temperature below, what was it, 98.6? So they put you into induced, induced hypothermia and your body starts to really slow down. Everything slows down a lot. They slow your body down, they fix the damages that are super traumatic, and then they bring you back. And that induced hypothermia like reduces like your heartbeat, your caloric intake, um, like your energy levels, how fast everything moves essentially in your body slows down to a crawl, puts you inside sort of like a stasis, if you will. Uh, they've actually looked at this as well for um, uh, space travel. It's called, uh, I think it's called induced tupor where uh, NASA did a study around this where you can put people in induced hypothermic states for up to two weeks at a time, and it would reduce the payload considerations for a space travel to the Mars by like one-third. So you would... Wow. Because you would have reduced uh, oxygen and uh, food consumption. So, But listen, dude. Yeah. What if you get cryo-frozen, right? And then you, there is a, like a reincarnation, and you end up in this next life, and you're absolutely fucking crushing it. <laughs> and then in the previous life they, they, they restore you and bring you back you're going to be pretty pissed and also what happens when you come back is it like when you leave prison like they give you like an envelope with all the shit you had yeah you actually have like a locker where you store your stuff um, <laughs> yeah in oh you do yeah you do and you'd, you'd you want do. to set up a trust as well to oversee <laughs> funds through time uh, the idea being that when you come out it'd be nice to have a little chunk of money that has grown uh, without any you're going to need bitcoin because there might have been a currency collapse yeah there's a there's a group of um, kind of like before Bitcoin, they're sort of like the cypherpunks, but they're called the extropians. Um, yeah, I remember them. Yeah, the extropians were like kind of life extension folks. I think that's the easier, like more modern, like more well-known term. Uh, looking at like how do you live forever and stuff like that. I mean, it's kind of funny. Like I, I guess I like to go tackle big problems where I'd like to think about how do we, you know, the two things that were formerly unsolvable, death and taxes. Well, maybe they can both be solved with, with Bitcoin and uh, cryo. <laughs> Well, is it like is cryo inevitably solvable? Yes. Is it is it's inevitably solvable? Yes, it's a physics problem. 
It's about preservation of the information in your brain, which is what your consciousness is. Um, so, but yeah. it's not really about preservation; it's about restoration without damage, because the cryogenic process does preserve it. Well, if you think about it this way, uh, the human brain is constantly degrading. Like, yeah, you have brain cells dying every single second, and you have new memories being encoded via this experience right now. You and I talking, yeah, new memories encoded on your brain, while the old memories decay. Like your recollection of your first bicycle ride is slowly fading away. But that doesn't make you any less of you. You are the continuity and compression of all those experiences that really represents who you are. So do I need to preserve a brain 100%? Probably not. Um, what's the sort of like level where we could say that consciousness has been preserved? We don't know. All we know is that like preserving it as well as we can is the, is the KPI. And eventually we'll figure out what that threshold is, but you don't have to have it 100% perfect uh, due to our, our consciousness isn't about 100% of our brain. That's where like when if you, let's say you had a traumatic incident and you lost a part of your brain, that doesn't necessarily mean that you've lost your consciousness. Um, mm. Now, is it 51%? Is it 60? We don't know. You know, is it 49%? Or maybe it's a region in the brain. Mm-hmm. So the, these things are... Really, really deep sort of questions to ask around cryo, but cryo fundamentally is a basic physics problem. And Ralph Merkel, which I've actually uh, grabbed lunch with, he's the guy who invented Merkel trees mm-hmm. and, and public-private key cryptography. He's on the board of Alcor, and mm-hmm. he's like, yeah, it's a really simple physics thing. He's like, is the information preserved? That's it. Like, right. That that's it. Um, now, and, and is it a case they won't know until they're able? to defrost someone and find out that's right yeah what is the appropriate level of preservation we don't know but certainly your chances of coming back without being cryopreserved is about at zero so doing this gives you a better than zero percent chance i don't know if it's 0.001 percent or 10 percent but and so and what's the deal there's like certain deaths that screw this up right if you're out skiing and you fall off a cliff yeah preserve uh, the snow you're kind of fucked but certainly a car crash maybe yeah, certainly duration matters immensely here. Like Hal Finney had a phenomenal cryopreservation where he was like right next door to the facility. So they, it, it's actually a little bit weird, but uh, if they if they are there when you die, you actually have a. They actually keep you quasi alive. It's it's kind of a. Okay, so what what happens is the. What's, what medical t- traditional medical science does is they declare you dead because you are unrecoverable with existing medical technology, but your brain is not dead. Mm-hmm. They're just like, look, we just we even if we brought them back, we wouldn't be able to like really treat them properly, so we just let them die. Like that is that is sort of the state of things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more of giving up. So technically, like when you die, what Alcor does if you have a really good cryo procedure is they bring you to the facility immediately, but they keep they have a chest thumper that keeps your heart and circulation going. So technically, you're, you know, it's a more of a gradient process. You don't technically get, you know, information theoretically, you know, necessarily die. <laughs> You've been produced pronounced dead, but um, they keep circulation going and start to do intravenous um, sort of uh, mixtures to begin the process. Um, and what do they keep you in? Are you in like a big tube? Yeah. Yeah. So... 
and maybe we split this off as a separate episode but you know this Dude, is uh, like i'm so interested no i think people yeah. will love this yeah oh it, it's, it's pretty crazy it you know i i've kind of been holding back on talking about it just because the uh, let's put it this way the ux of signing up is terrible <laughs> the ux of signing up for cryo the way you start there's not even a sign up button on the website you have to find a 20-page membership form and fill that out and email it in. So, Because it's probably the Bitcoiners who, who are like focused on it. <laughs> it's just like it reminds me very much of early Bitcoin, just immensely hard, <laughs> impossible UX and like overly jargony. But yeah, it, it you know, I think it's a super interesting, you know, I like when I got into Bitcoin, it was really niche. I was one of the only non-technical people in the space back in that day. And you know, with, with cryonics, I see a similar sort of uh, of thing where, you know, there's really an Overton window around an acceptable conversation around it. It's It's got a really weird stigma to it. It's very amateur, extremely amateur. I mean, the number one company in the space, Alcor, only has an annual budget of $1.5 million. What if they run out of money? They've got a trust. But oh, but $1.5 million, I mean, that's a rounding error on a, one startup in Silicon Valley, Right. And, yeah, yeah. you know, it solves a problem that everyone has. Like, people don't want to die, right? Like, so it's a, yeah, but that creates a new problem. No, how so? If, well, if, people's, if people aren't dying, we're going to run out of space. Oh, I mean, look, like, uh, I don't, you're not going to, like, stack these people in your apartment or something. Like, you, you put them in a facility <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. No, but in the future, in the future, if we don't have death, we have a, we have a scaling problem. Uh, kind of. I mean, if you look at uh, really developed countries, they, they typically, the, the population actually turns negative, like in Italy and Russia and those countries. I mean, their population growth is actually negative. So most people don't have two kids nowadays uh, after you reach a certain level of like uh, per capita income. Um, you know, kids are expensive. Kids take a lot of upkeep. I think in developing countries, they're kind of used as laborers. Uh <laughs> I mean, they are in my house. Yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe, maybe in all countries. Get, but... Put the bin, put the bins out. Make me a cup of tea, you little fucker. <laughs> so yeah, I listen. Think, uh, yeah, sorry, I was going to say that that's a that's a really good rabbit hole. We could have done a show on that ourselves, but I, I just I'm conscious of time. I just want to bring it full circle. Like, how do we get how do we get this in the conversation? And like, how do we get this in the wider conversation? Get people talking about it because you know we've got some well known people who know a bit about like Nassim Taleb. He understands Bitcoin. He, he had a whinge the other day where he can buy some shit on Bitcoin, on, on Coinbase, right? So he had a reason to buy it then. And, you know, we've got uh, like the Rao Pals and the Dan Taperos all coming in. We've got Preston Pitch. We've got some like, but we need, we need some like bigger names, some bigger people to really give a shit. Yeah, I think, you know, when, when Bitcoiners think about cycles and how new, new user adoption works, it's typically, you know, m- number go up is what brings everyone in. The big bull runs, everyone wants to take advantage of the bull run and profit from it, which is totally intuitive. Uh, People can't resist the urge to make money. But then the floors, the bottom of the cycle is set by the hodlers, the believers. So to get people in, you know, we need to maximally compress the narrative. We need to come up with the easiest way to explain Bitcoin to a variety of different audiences. And that's where each one of us, we each are a member of Bitcoin's marketing team. We each need to Think about how we talk about Bitcoin, but more importantly, don't just talk about it, put it out there, and you find no traction, and then you continue down that course. Use you know, a data-driven framework for going, okay, I talked about Bitcoin this way, and now I'm seeing people's eyes light up. You know, Think mm-hmm. about you know, when people go, 
a lot of people, you know, I think a, a common a common narrative around me is like Dan explains Bitcoin simply. And it's funny because yep. like I've actually had people in person where they're like, hey, Dan, convince my friend to buy to buy Bitcoin like in person, like we're at dinner. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, look, I, I can't just like auto magically convert anyone into Bitcoin. Um, do you, I think do you know it, what you could do there? What, what could I do? Turn around and, say, and, and say, convince me that you shouldn't buy Bitcoin. Ah, nice. Well, there you go. That that's your that's your that'll be your trick. That'll be. I'm your, gonna try that now. You should try that. Yeah, that's good. I think of it as like a deck of cards. You can yeah. play a different card for different people. If it's a boomer, okay. If you start talking about like crazy digital things, they're just not gonna get it. You talk to them about gold, maybe they get gold, right? Yep. You know, you talk to a millennial or a Zoomer, they're going to respond differently to different messaging, like, oh, Bitcoin's about freedom, you know, like a Alex Gladstein-esque, where, like, this mm -hmm. is about consensual money. You know, those sort of, those that sort of verbiage, I think, would resonate more highly with, like, that age group. So I think of it as a deck of cards. Like, you can't have a one-size-fits-all narrative, but you use it in the appropriate, uh, you know, channels, whether that be in person with a millennial or boomer. Or digitally, when you've got a crowd of a lot of uh, mix of people on Twitter uh, versus like you go on TikTok and it's interpretive dancing and there's a different style of that. Like, I don't know how to do that, but I know other people do. And we have to propagate Bitcoin's narrative everywhere. So when people do this, I, I would recommend, you know, when you talk about Bitcoin, try out different narratives, see which one sticks, see which one resonates. Don't just stick to one and keep going down that path. Like mine has been refined through eight years of talking about Bitcoin. I mean, I've talked mm -hmm. to thousands of people about Bitcoin. So I've seen what sticks generally. Now, again, it's not one size fits all, but um, you know, don't just, don't just choose your own narrative for Bitcoin. Like try to see what resonates with your audience. And, and through that, if you approach it with that mindset, you will help propagate Bitcoin um, much more effectively than just kind of bullheadedly saying how you feel about it. Like, if you talk about it like, oh, I like to buy guns illegally online with Bitcoin, great, sure, do whatever you'd like. But don't use it as the primary, like, if, you, if you're talking to, like, a law-abiding citizen who didn't, has never questioned their government, they're going to find you, like, insane. Um, and so I'm not saying that's a bad narrative. I'm just saying it's not the mm -hmm. appropriate narrative for that audience. Mm. I get it. I'll tell you what else. I'd like to see an end to the kind of Bitcoiner on Bitcoiner crime that goes on. Like, Bitcoiners attacking other Bitcoiners for not being exactly the same Bitcoiner as them. That's just fucking useless. I think it's it's so unhelpful. Like, I've got a... It's like a group who troll me constantly. I'm like, I'm on your team, dudes. I'm just trying to bring in a bunch of people who, who aren't the same as you. And it's just like, troll, 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 troll. You're a piece of shit. Go fuck yourself. Yeah, you're it's, a scammer like it's just like it's so relentless it's like i'm definitely on the same team here like yeah. we should work together totally you know i get a lot of flack too like a lot of people are like oh dan said not you know not your keys not your coins isn't always an appropriate narrative and i'm like yeah it's not and, and then people misconstrue it as like oh dan doesn't believe in not your keys not your coins like self-custody i'm like yeah. no i didn't say that i just said it's not appropriate for like a newbie right away um i actually blocked i block a decent amount of bitcoiners like we're not all going to get along um, but some, they block me. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you trigger a few more than I do. But uh, yeah, but I'm like stop know. getting triggered. Like my job's to explore this shit, right? If I'm asking a question, somebody else probably wants the question answered. That's the reality. It's like look at my show downloads. Is people want the answers to these questions? So stop worrying about it. Being don't be offended by someone asking the question or having an opinion. Like, like 
Oh, man. Yeah, when I put together my tweet storm, I think like you had gotten flack. I put together this tweet storm, on, and the reason why we're talking today is I put together a tweet storm on Bitcoin's yeah. marketing, and Peter had gotten some flack. And 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 what you got that flack for? That was part of the reason I wrote this. Is I like this was all coming together in my head, and then that like make a buddy. That reinforced that reinforced like okay, <laughs> Bitcoiners have a really messed up perspective of marketing because they're going after Peter for making money. Um, and so that's where a few of the tweets I, I kind of defended your podcast and and I'm like, wait, so you think Peter's overpaid because he makes X amount of money, but it's a free market. Like you can't simultaneously be an anti-free market individual and be a Bitcoiner. Like you have to be a free market advocate. And for Bitcoiners to go after you for making money, I thought was like really silly. And and they were like they were like, oh, he's you know he's not marketing Bitcoin perfectly. I'm like, I don't know, man. It's just his, his own narrative of, of Bitcoin. He's a scammer. Fun. Once the next bull run comes, he'll be a shitcoiner again. He's going to be Roger Veer too. Fucking heard it over and over, dude. Like, I appreciate you doing that. I mean, I'm the same with Pomp. Like, I defend the shit out of Pomp. I think he's a great guy. Look, we don't agree on altcoins. We don't agree on everything. But we agree on Bitcoin on, on a lot. And I support what he does. And, and I appreciate him. And I I just think, like, it's, it's very easy to be, like, this hardcore Bitcoiner, like rigid not moving i coin join i tour i do all that sh- and i'm just like yeah of course cool. that's amazing you do that but I- i'm focused on this other 99.9 percent of people who don't understand that shit who want some exposure and they want to get in and hopefully they'll get there but like let's not let's not help let's not expect them to make the leap from i've heard of bitcoin tomorrow i'm downloading tour and i'm buying a cold call wallet right. and i'm gonna uh, it's just just fucking ridiculous so yeah like, yeah. i appreciate it dude yeah, yeah, it's you know I think um, it, it's crazy too because we all have the same objective: get more yeah. people to learn, understand, hodl, and become believers in Bitcoin. Um, you know, I just don't think and they're going to do get that. a Lambo. Yeah, and hopefully, yeah, Lambo someday. But Lambo. yeah, you're not going to go A to Z in an afternoon. You know, no. and when you do that, it's a bit overwhelming. Um, it's dangerous. Again, like the loaded gun analogy, like you're handing them a loaded gun and you're like, oh, you should have known how to like, and they shoot themselves in the foot and you're like, oh, you should have known how to use a gun. And they're like, no one ever taught me to use it. Fucking Um, idiot. Or that you give them, you give them one two minute lesson and then you're like, okay, you're good to go. Here you go. Yeah. Um, So go recruit more Bitcoiners. (laughs) Yeah. Look, like Bitcoin is an incredible, incredible Mm. innovation for humankind. Uh, I'm, I've, it's something that I'm dedicating my life to. You know, like teaching more people about Bitcoin. And I just felt responsible to talk about, hey, guys, let's zoom out. Look about how we market Bitcoin. Marketers aren't sleazy salesmen. They're just trying to get the point across. And that's what we're all trying to do. And dude, you're killing it. And listen, this is probably the longest we've been without actually seeing each other in person because of this fucking lockdown. It's been like whatever. So uh, hopefully it's going to end soon. I'll get over the pond. We'll hook up. I appreciate you, man. I appreciate everything you do. We talk a lot. You know, people won't know this. We talk a lot. We talk weekly about stuff and jam ideas, and it's it's really good to do. And and, and it's a very good friendship that I I'm glad I have. So, listen, appreciate and love everything you're doing. Tell tell people where to find you and where to follow you, because uh, yeah. Uh, so cool you doing? Well, you know, as I mentioned earlier, uh, trying to propagate the narrative across many different channels. Um, Dan held on Twitter, and Dan held on LinkedIn, and danheld.com. So all pretty easy. Pretty easy to find me. Um, you know what's funny is I have people coming up to me telling me, "Hey Dan, I follow you on LinkedIn." I think it's kind of kind of crazy. I don't know many people that hang on on LinkedIn, but that's why I started talking over there. Is people were like, "Hey, I, I hear I see your stuff on LinkedIn, so why not?" 
All right, man. We'll keep crushing it. Hopefully, I'll see you soon. All right, Peter. Thanks for having me. Uh, always a blast. And, uh, and uh, hopefully, we see each other soon in person. All right, man. Cheers. All right, then. What do you make of that? Do you enjoy having Dan on the show to talk about that? Do you agree with us? Do you disagree? What do you think? I would love to hear from you, so feel free to get in touch. Now, I often take a beating on Twitter for throwing out challenging ideas. I'm kind of getting used to it, but look, I do this for a reason. I put out these challenging ideas. Sometimes I want to test people with ideas. Sometimes I want to put different ideas out there. Sometimes I just put things out there. I completely stand by it. I mean, two things specifically is that I do think getting people to run a full node is hard. It doesn't matter how much you beat on about how important it is. There are a number of steps people have to go through. Firstly, they have to want to and they have to get it. They have to understand the importance. They have to want to spend the money on a node. If they don't want to spend the money, then they have to build one, which can be expensive. Um, they have to learn how to use it. Look, anyone who thinks that is an easy step, really just check themselves a bit because it isn't. As much as you think it is, it isn't. And the other one is like this two Bitcoin thing on Coinbase. Look, I stand by this because I've had to deal with this multiple times. People go to Coinbase and they're like, Oh, which one do I buy, Bitcoin or Bitcoin Cash? And look, I'm not saying ideologically there are two Bitcoins. What I'm saying is, for a new person coming in, that's what they see, and they've got to get their head around this. So listen, marketing and UX is important. It's all one thing, but it's really, really important. And I always want to help people with this. And I'm pretty confident after the years I did studying and working in UX and in design that these topics should not be argued against. They are common sense, but anyway, I, I still get trolled about it. And listen, as I said, Bitcoin does have mass awareness, but it does not have mass adoption. And I feel that this is a reputation problem and helping people make this leap is like it's a delicate process. Uh, so I'm going to keep working on it and I'll keep taking the beatings. I stand by most of the things I say. But look, if you don't agree with me, feel free to get in touch. Happy to listen to anyone. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the show. Big shout out to Dan. Thanks for coming on. Make sure you go and check out Dan's shit. He's doing some really interesting stuff at the moment. And as ever, if you've got any questions about the show, you can email me. And as I said in the intro, my final show about Steve Mnuchin is out. It's a four-part series. Just basically is just a cock. And if you want to find out about that, listen to it. I go into a lot of detail about all the kind of shady shit he's been involved in. Um, would love your feedback on that as well. And outside of that, listen, have a great weekend. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com and I hope to hear from you soon.